Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Daniel Goodman. Dan is the founder of True Commission. He is um, a paladin, a, a warrior, going out and defending the rights of salespeople from evil CFOs who are stiffing them on their commission. Today, we're going to look at the type of commission structures that uh, often create a backlash because salespeople don't understand them or they feel like they're being hard done by and rip, being ripped off. And the tactics leadership and management use, especially when they're trying to save money in order to uh, stiff you and where your rights are. Now, Dan operates in the US, so it's not necessarily going to be uh, looking at the legal rights within the UK. And I guess you've also got all the different legislation uh, around the different states. So maybe we're not going to go into any of the legal. But understanding generally what your rights are, where you should be uh, looking to identify if someone is taking advantage of you, if you're leaving money on the table, and the tactics that people use that you need to be aware of so that you can get ahead of them, neutralize them, and how you can negotiate back to get paid what you're due instead of uh, being robbed blind. Would that be a fair summary, Dan? I would say so. I mean, it's, uh, it happens quite frequently, more than it should. And uh, I think it's a great uh, thing that we're doing today to encourage reps to uh, check and to stand up and to know their rights. Excellent. So how did you get into this whole arena in the first place? So I've always been someone who's always questioned things. I, I never sort of rely on blind faith and trust to sort of take things at face value. I think it was sort of the way that I was raised and through the various experiences that I had in life. So I've always been sort of an analytical person. Uh, I've always been a spreadsheet jock. I love making financial models. I keep a personal budget going all the way back to 1989. I really enjoy doing it. People look at me like I'm crazy. Who likes to do those types of things? <laughs> so, you know, while doing this, you know, I, I've had family and friends who have been uh, rock star sales folks, and I've helped them uh, validate their pay. I've checked for them. And in doing so, I found literally hundreds of thousands of earned but unpaid commissions and resulting bonuses that led to President's Club trips as well. And I was shocked at how prevalent and how significant these errors were and how comp plans were complex and that there were no solutions for sales reps. And I have an MBA in entrepreneurship and marketing from Babson College. I have a finance undergraduate degree. So it's always been a passion of mine to start my own business. I'm one of those people that's either always on or not. There's not much in between with me. I've poured all this energy and passion into figuring out how can I help rather than just sort of one salesperson at a time? How can I automate this entire methodology that I've created to find these pairs and then roll it out for the market as a whole so sales reps everywhere can have that person behind them, have that advocate, have those resources and those tools to identify that pay and then go back to their employer? So as a result, you know, it took me a long time to figure out how do we automate this for any rep in any industry, regardless of complexity, be able to onboard a comp plan by answering a few questions and then get some data into our system, look at what you expected to be paid when you closed the deal, and compare it to what you actually were paid months and months later when you're paid on it. And it's shocking how much that, how often that number changes, and there's no one that I'm aware of that provides that type of reporting to their, to their employees. I believe that there's a right that they should have that information. If they work so hard to close a deal, and it takes months and months, maybe even years, to penetrate a large enterprise account, shouldn't there be some accountability on the company when the rep is not being paid what they expected, rather than just show one-sided view of what's invoiced to the customer? Well, in this market, I would have thought it would be a competitive advantage to have a great reputation for paying full commissions and uh, doing so properly, because top talent is never 
out of demand. And in this market, people are really looking to find the right employer. And increasingly, they're leaving when uh, the employer appears to be behaving out of integrity. And we're seeing this, you know, people are marching with their feet in, in their droves. 72% of US workers, according to Gartner, will have applied for a new job this year. I think that's just trends that we're seeing and changes in culture. You know, you know, back in my day, you know, it was looked upon negatively to you know, uh, jump ship and change jobs frequently. And that really doesn't apply today uh, at all, to tell you the truth. It's shocking how you'll see someone with, you know, three months, six months on a resume. You know, I think that employers are really being short-sighted. They're more than willing to sort of upset the apple cart and let key employees leave for the sake of enforcing their comp plan and ensuring that no sales rep is making more than the executives at the company. You know, if I'm an executive of a company, they should be thrilled that a sales rep is killing it because that means that the company is probably doing eight or nine times better. I heard about a dealer principal of a BMW garage that decided to fire their top salesperson because he was earning more than uh, the dealer principal. And I mean, what an act of self-sabotaging idiocy. And oh, the, message, the message that must have sent to the rest of the team, which is don't even contemplate being noticed and doing well. Yeah, and they just look at it that you're a number. You're, you're disposable to us. You don't really matter. You produce an end result. And if you rock the, the cart, then we'll let you go or we'll make it so miserable for you that you'll want to leave. Now, one thing I want to touch on that you mentioned in your first question is that that's one of the things that True Commission wants to provide to employers. We want to be able to give them as the independent third-party verification service to ensure that reps are being paid fully and accurately. And that's something that employers potentially at one point could have as sort of a, a seal of approval of, on their website or use it in marketing tools to attract and retain top talent. Sadly, this doesn't exist today. There's a huge opportunity here for True Commission and the enterprise, as well as direct-to-consumer and the SMB market, because things like the perception of being fair and honest, while society is changing and demanding these types of things, sales teams and leadership are a little slow to catch on with that. And we're going to help push that forward on behalf of sales reps. Very interesting. I, I like a man on a mission. So we'll come back to that in a minute. Tell me this then. If you are negotiating your commission, what are some basic rules of thumb? Because th one of the things that baffles me is the number of reps who six months in still haven't got their comp plan. A year in, still haven't got their, even their target fully agreed. And so everything seems to be a moving target. They're dealing with ambiguity, which is never a good thing to have your salespeople dealing with. So what would you advise a seller to look for when they're, even when they're just going through the interview process uh, to get a sense of whether or not this is a business that behaves with integrity when it comes to commission? Well, the first thing I would ask is I'd ask to see if I could see what the comp plan is and the details. And this problem that you're describing is something that I have known about for a long time. And that's another thing that True Commission has built out for salespeople. We've built a comp plan comparison tool. It has four use cases to provide transparency around the comp plan and changes from year to year. So whether you're an existing rep, an existing company, and your manager comes to you and hands you a new comp plan and says, hey, Marcus, I think you're going to like this plan. I think you're going to make money, more money with it. And then you look at it, and everything's different. It's apples to oranges. The rates change, the tiers change, the structure change, the categories change, maybe even the products change. You have no idea if you'll make more or less. You have to rely on blind faith and trust that you will. 
So I, I've been doing this exercise for folks for a long time manually, and it takes forever, and it's very difficult to model. But we built this out. We built an automated tool that you can look at last year's plan, this year's plan, and we'll tell you for the same level of performance how much more, or likely less, you'll earn on the new plan. And if you want to earn the same amount as you did last year, how much more you'll have to sell just to break even. Another use case would be is if you're looking to leave your company and going to a new employer, before you jump ship and just assume that the grass is always greener and just sort of rely on blind faith in their word that you'll make more money, plug the new plan into our model compared to the plan that you're leaving from and set different levels of performance and see if you really wait, will make more money before you jump ship. If you're a sales manager, right? Sit down with your reps, educate the reps about the new plan. Don't just throw it over the wall and say, hey, sign this in the next 24 hours. Sit down with them, explain to them the changes and how they can, where they should be focusing their time and how they can maximize the plan and make the most money. So you can plug the new plan in and have the, the manager go over with it to, the, with the rep to understand the plan from the inside out. Well, again, by doing that, it will inform you where their attention will be focused. And if in going through that exercise, it informs you that it's going to encourage people to either be lazy and stick with selling what they're already familiar and comfortable with, or there is a, a significant incentive to change their behavior and sell a new range. I was having this conversation only a, a couple of hours ago. Because of the way the comp plan in this company is set up, there is no incentive to sell the new range. Yeah, and yeah, no, as a I, result, five yeah. years, they've known that they've got to play in this space. And it's just been creeping up. And this poor guy's moved into this uh, senior uh, role because he was a producer up until about six months ago. And in unpacking all of this, what we've realized is he's been set up to fail. Yep, it's yeah. difficult. It's difficult. But, yeah, I mean, that's some of the challenges that a lot of companies have when they don't have automation, when they don't have technology. They rely on manual processes. You know, maybe some of these SMBs, for example, are using QuickBooks and then Excel feeds coming out of that. And the entire process is manual and it's prone to human error. Um, you know, what we can do for True Commish is we can come in and support the uh, SMB market and provide sort of a rev ops in a box. And now you can align commission structures with company goals. You can incent reps to sort of sell more high margin products or new and emerging project products. Uh, and that way you can, you know, incent them in such a way to drive the salesperson's behavior in a way that the company can maximize the benefits ah. to them as well. Right. So what, what I think you've just told me is what I've been looking for for quite some time, uh, which is a tool that can allow us to identify what the parameters are in order to optimize the result that the business is looking for by driving sales behavior in the appropriate proportions of selling different products, different ranges, different si uh, sizes, and so on. Right. So you already have that template. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we, we want to be able to empower the companies to be able to drive business. So, you know, maybe you're selling four different products rather than having them all go against one quota with the same rate in accelerators. You can have a separate quota for each of the products that you want to want to have, have the salesperson drive. Exactly. And now, right. And now you have visibility into that. You can set up tiers and accelerators and bonuses. And our system will automate the entire process and track all of that so that you can build in this complexity, but not worry about it because in the back end, we can take care of that for you. And now you can drive the business that you want. Oh, how exciting. Right, so I, I have been looking for this for about, I don't know how long, 
but there is a an offline conversation you and I need to have. Sounds uh, good. Okay, interesting. Very, very interesting. Oh, so let's look at what are the um, things that I, as a new salesperson, considering this job, the offers being put in front of me, what are the big red flag alarm bells that I should be looking for that would alert me that maybe this comp plan is somewhat one-sided and it doesn't favor me? Well, the first thing I would want to look at is how many pages is it? I've been getting comp plans from people that are 20, 25, 30. I got a 36-page comp plan from someone recently. How? And ask me, it just goes on and on. It's paragraph after paragraph. And guess what? There aren't even commission rates in the comp plan. You have to refer to two other documents and then go to an Excel calculator and plug in numbers to figure out what your rates are going to be. It's crazy. So I would be very concerned about that. I'd be very concerned about clauses that are put in these contracts. So you have a 30-page contract. And guess what? Like on the last page that you kind of have given up after about 20 pages, there's a clause there that says that the company, by the way, can change their mind whenever they want based on, quote unquote, changes in business conditions. So what that means is that the rate, the rep earned too much money, they out earn the comp plan, the executive team doesn't like it, and now they want to go pull the rug out from underneath the rep and not pay them what they've agreed to do and that the rep executed on. Uh, so that's another huge that concern. happened hundreds of times. And it's typically the top performers. They land the mega deal that they've been promised the earth with, and they've been nurturing and fostering. And then all of a sudden, um, oh, times are tough, whether times are tough or not, because they don't like paying the commission that they committed to. A few other things I keep an eye out for with clauses like uh, cliff clauses, for example, like you don't earn any commission until you've sold 50% or 70% of your year, and then you would then have it accrue. Um, I've seen retroactive payments before, but usually they'll have a base rate and they'll make you earn your way through that first tier and then accrue the difference that's being retroed and pay that out as a lump sum. That would be a concern that I would look for. Also, you know, how much of the have the quotas changed from year to year? I've been talking to a number of reps who made, you know, did that have these sort of cliffs, you know, you got to earn 50%, never even got to the 50%, and now their quota has doubled the next year. It was unrealistic to meet in the first place, and now they've made it twice as hard to do so. And in that kind of organization, it's always really interesting to identify how many people are actually hitting quota, because the over-assignment of quota is something you really have to look for as well. If the target is 100 million, and you add everyone's quota up, and it's 120 million, that's not, a, that's not an alarm bell. If you add everyone's quota up, and it's 300 million, you can tell that basically, Everyone is being set up to fail, and they don't want to pay any commissions. <laughs> yeah, there's this dichotomy between the executive team and the sales leaders, where the executive team, the CFO, the CEO, wants to increase profitability. They want to reduce the overall cost of sales. Usually, they have someone in a revenue operations role that tweaks the comp plan from year to year, and their goal is to reduce the salesperson's pay, but do it in a tactful way that there's not a line out the door leave, looking to leave the company because they don't like the new comp plan. So there's that challenge that, that exists. But Dan, given the profligate waste of profit that most of these organizations have been exercising over the last 14 years, because if, if you take the top 100 SaaS companies before the recent crash in share price and uh, all the other stuff, the median profit margin for the top 100 companies was 0%. If you took Salesforce out, it was the square root of Fanny Adams. <laughs> and now 
I suspect it's substantially less. Uh, in fact, the revenues of <laughs> the average the South, uh, big SAS is probably zero. But what I don't understand is why they would spend so much time not paying any attention to profit and then screwing over salespeople for what in practice is not even cookie money for them. They're focused on growth over profitability. They have metrics that their investors or VCs want them to meet with hiring and revenue with profitability usually being you know left behind. That's changing now with the, mar- the way the market is changing. The VCs have different metrics that they're looking at. And that's why you're seeing all these massive layoffs going on right now with these SaaS companies, because they're you know tightening the belt and they're reducing their staffing because they were growing too fast and trying to meet these metrics. Well, the irony is those companies are probably, or by and large, and certainly the investors, are absolutely rolling in cash, by and large. And they're seeing these human beings as just an inconvenience on a balance sheet. So again, this is another reason why we do need people like Van out here fighting the case. Because whilst, let's be honest, the majority of salespeople turn up largely for their basic salary, because most of them are not making commission month after month, it's very inconsistent. If you've done the work and you've contracted with your, uh, with your, um, your employer, they owe you that it's an obligation and they are literally taking food out of your children's mouths. Yes, this is a very sensitive topic for me because I've seen it happen so many times. And, 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 and honestly, I mean, I didn't even look at it like this when, when we were starting True Commission talking about it, but I've had you know, a number of people on calls with me that were looking at six figures in commissionaries. And they're just so moved by what we're doing here at True Commission and how we're that advocate for the rep. And the money that we're finding for them and helping them find is life-changing money. And I didn't really look at it like this. You know, I looked at it like, you know, we're trying to right a wrong and get the folks what they're entitled to. But when you take it to their personal lives, I mean, this could mean the difference between paying rent on a home or putting a down payment on a mortgage and building a future. It could be mean sending a kid to college or planning a vacation for your family that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. You know, this is, this is money that they've earned and companies really don't have a right to mess with it. Salespeople make sacrifices every day on behalf of the company against their family and their friends and their hobbies. And they work so hard to close these deals. When companies start messing with their pay and reducing agreed comp plans and things like that, you know, it, it really it negatively impacts the rep, not just professionally, but they carry that around with them. The frustration when trust is broken, it's a human emotion that's evoked. And it really can set a salesperson off and put them into a downward spiral. I've seen it happen many times. And they feel negatively about themselves because you know, they, they, they don't trust their employer. They're not treated right. Yet they, the, the employer sort of positions it with them like, hey, we're family. You know, why are you asking for this information? Don't you trust us? You know, why is nobody else in the company asking for this information? You know, are you planning on being here a long time? And then you know, they, get the, they finally get the data because they have to escalate it to the CEO level because you know, there is an obligation by the employer to pay their reps fully and accurately. And if you point out an error and the company acknowledges that, at least in the States here, they, the company must cut a manual check immediately because there's an obligation to have paid them and they have you know, not done so. There's a contract. Um, there's a, a contract, but it's not just a contract between the employer and the employee. It's, it's a legal obligation that when you work hard and you've earned your money, the employer must pay you fully and accurately. 
And if you if you find errors and the employer doesn't respond immediately, they're subjecting themselves to triple damages in employment litigation. So, triple damages? Yes. So what, what type of damages could they be liable for? Well, if you've gone and identified, I had a rep that I just helped this past week. He I found $8,000. His company locked down the data, so he had to do it manually. I talked with him. I worked with him. And the company agreed to uh, five of the $8,000 right up front. They said, it'll be in your next paycheck. And uh, I told him that he could go back to his CEO right now, that tell him that he should cut him a check immediately. Because if not, that 5K could easily turn into 15K. They've acknowledged that they owe him money from the past, and now they're not paying it out. They're telling him to wait to the next pay cycle. It's the obligation of the company to pay fully and accurately. When they fail to do so, they are exposing themselves to triple damages. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's not the case in the UK, but um, uh, if you can uh, take advantage of it in the States, then there's always that option. Um, okay. So uh, tell me this then. If you believe that your commission is wrong and uh, you've been underpaid, assuming um, the overpayment conversation is one that people would be more reluctant to have, but Again, I think if you if it's if it works one way, you have to work both ways. You have to act out of within integrity instead of out of it. But if you do get the feeling that you your commission is wrong, what's the most appropriate first step? I really believe it's up to the individual rep. It's really a decision that they need to make and that they need to feel comfortable with. I've talked to a number of reps that think, you know, if, if I find errors going the other way, then you know I should let my company know about it. There's reps that feel like their company has screwed them over on pay for years and years and years. And if there happens to be a mistake that goes my way, finally, good for me. You know, ultimately, it's the company's responsibility to get it right. It's not the, the rep's job. It's not the rep's job to check it and find errors on behalf of the company. You know, frankly, I believe in pay transparency. If every company had pay transparency, this issue would never exist. Reps would never have to spend time checking their pay. I believe that there should be a legal obligation for all companies, just like there's a legal obligation to pay them fully and accurately. Well, it seems to me that the law is missing the other half of it. If the company doesn't provide the data or the resources or the system to be able to check your pay, then how do you know if you're being paid fairly or not? I think that there should be a law that anytime a company pays a rep a commission check, there should be a reconciliation from what you initially booked and expected to be paid through implementation, through invoicing, to commission. And any time what you expect to be paid is different than what you're actually commissioned on, I believe the company should provide a reconciliation and explanation of all variances in a report. And if they did so, these games would be over. No rep would ever have to worry if they're paid right. They would have to spend, I mean, the rep that I was talking about the other day with the 8,000 bucks they found had to do it manually. He spent three full work days, not selling, not earning, checking the last eight months of commission checks. Three full days, and, and he found $8,000. What's that? What's his revenue target? I didn't even ask him. We didn't even look. Okay, but, yeah. okay I, I that could easily have cost the company 12000 If he's on oh, 1.2 uh, million, uh, he's on 4000 a day. That could easily be twelve grand. It just They've just wasted uh, exactly. admin. And he's entitled to do that. Right, but what about the lack? What about, what about the morale? What about yeah. the lack of trust? What about motivation and productivity and key employee retention and the negative feelings that you get from doing this and having to spend the time being denied access to the data and then finding errors to boot and then being told, oh, sorry, we'll take care of it in the next pay cycle? That's just wrong. Okay, so what are the kind of excuses that one should be 
aware of and be prepared for to uh, to hear from um, finances that um, trying to uh, tighten the screws. Well, I mean, errors happen a lot of different ways. You know, there could be a data entry error by the sales rep and then putting information into the CRM. There could be an error on the accounting department where all the work could have been completed and the company, could, the customer perhaps was never invoiced. There could be a situation where, you know, my deal got credited to a different rep by mistake or got credited to a house account. We've, we've seen all of that play out. You know, where I would be really concerned is when the uh, company is not being uh, sort of proactive and transparent around the pay, around the, the comp plan, you know, around the reporting. That's where the flags would go up for me personally. Another thing that's really important to track are open orders. So if the company doesn't ever report on bookings, how do you know if you've never been paid on a deal, right? So that's why I think it's important to report from what the initial intent was by both the rep and the customer, and then report variances off of that, rather than just a one-sided view. So what would need to change on the employer's side in terms of their process to be able to do that? Because that sounds like quite a lot of work. No, actually, they have all the data today. They have all the systems. If they chose to do this, they could do it. All they need to do is link their CRM with their invoicing system or their commission software and, uh, or, or their uh, ERP systems. You'll be able to see out of the CRM what the intent was, what was initially booked. And then you can run a report, match them up by a unique identifier, which is what we do at True Commish. We take an opportunity name or an opportunity number or an invoice number, job number, work order number that exists in both the CRM bookings report and also exists in the commission report. And we'll match that up in our system and then look at how much you expect to be paid out of the booking, how much you expected to be paid, out, you were paid out of the commission. When they're different, our system will highlight that and provide a data warehouse for the rep to be able to go in and do a first pass check. They can look at the unique identifier that they have in our system, compare it, look at what is in their own systems to find out what actually happened with that deal. Was the deal canceled? Was it completed the way it should have, but for some reason I wasn't paid what I should have? Was it, uh, it, sound, it sounds brilliant, but in my experience, most organizations don't have systems that join up. Their CRM is full of total horseshit when it comes to actual information of any real value. The information's incomplete because reps don't fill it out because the CRM is not intended to help them sell more and more often for more money. It's intended as an audit function and a way of giving an illusion of control to leadership and management, and it does nothing for the customer. So in theory, yes, but in practice, I, just their systems are so shit. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. Well, that's one of the reasons why we want to bring True Commish to um, the enterprise and to the SMB market as well. We've created these automations. We've created these direct links to the various platforms, and uh, we can automate the entire function. We can you know, use our, we can use our system. We can upload the data to it um, automatically through uh, APIs that we've developed. And uh, it's working today, and we're able to automate that entire process. I get that. I'm just curious, though. If someone is starting out embarking on this project then, and yes. you're talking to the CFO, the CEO, and the, you know, the head of sales or CRO, and they're getting their heads together, and they're thinking about putting together a comp plan, that drives desirable behavior without creating negative unintended consequences, like encouraging people to sandbag, like encouraging people to do funny deals in order to try and capitalize on the best commission. How do you ensure 
that they all meet at the same place in a way that creates a comp plan that serves the business's objective, is fair and transparent to the seller, and maximizes the uh, result, desired result for the company. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think would be to make sure that everybody understands it. I mean, you'd be shocked at the number of people that come to me and ask me to interpret their comp plan. One person sent me a DM last week, said he's been the number one rep in his company for three years, and he doesn't know how he actually earns his commissions. He wanted to know whether I could jump on a call with him, review it with him, and give him, give him some insights. So that would be the first thing, is to make sure that it's easy to understand. It should also be, you know, it, it shouldn't go on and on. It should be, there should be numbers in the, in the plan. It shouldn't be long paragraphs with different terms that the reps don't even understand. And frankly, sometimes the sales manager doesn't understand. It should be fair. I think it's about, I think that it, they should stop the game play. It seems like this is a big game to sort of pull a fast one over. Everything should be transparent. Treat everybody equally and with mutual respect, whether you're a CFO or you're a BDR. You're an individual, you're a human being, you have lives, you support your family, and we're talking about people's money. You should be treated fairly and honestly and respectfully. And the game playing should stop. These silly clauses that you can change the game halfway through, pressuring employees, not providing transparency, these things are demotivating for the rep. And that's how things can be better. That's how, it's, it's basic mutual respect. I believe that there's been a lot of changes that have taken place in society over the last three or four years, partially because of the pandemic. You know, there's been a shift in the power dynamic from the employer to the employee. There's been a, you know, uh, the great resignation, the demand for remote work, you know, yeah. quiet quitting become more of a thing. You know, people aren't afraid to stand up and question things anymore. And with what we do with True Commission, fits perfectly into that. I'm empowering reps to stand up for themselves, to give them the data and the information and the insights to understand what's going on and to put a spotlight on them and to question things and demand to be treated fairly and honestly and to be paid fully and accurately. Interesting. Okay. But winding it back in terms of the conversation that those three leaders need to have when they're designing the plan in the first place, what's the thinking that they need to go through? What are the challenges that they're going to face to create the right kind of balance? Because very often, we seem to overemphasize one side or the other. In sales and marketing, you definitely see a massive overemphasis on the financial. And because of that, um, there's this obsession with trying to measure stuff that it seems to be measurement for the sake of measurement, as opposed to measurement for the purpose of helping individual human beings improve. Go so on. I think there's a dichotomy there. I sort of mentioned this earlier that you know, the CFO and the CEO wants to sort of drive down the cost of sales and increase profitability. There needs to be a balance there, right? It needs to be fair. It needs to be realistic. So like when, when, when the CFO says to the sales VP, he says, okay, you need, you need to do $20 million this year. You know, well, maybe you only did 15 million last year. And, you know, maybe the team, you know, only met, you know, 60% of quota. And now you're moving the, the marker even further away and it's unrealistic. So if you've got a team of say 10 reps, Unfortunately, what they do, there's a nugget that they have to use from the top down rather than from the bottom up. So now these massive quotas and these OTE targets that aren't realistic to be met are now being pushed down from the top 
to balance the books and basically have a budget that will track to what their corporate goals are, despite how unrealistic they may be based on past performance. But again, the, the, just the, the language that you use there is um, clearly the overemphasis on the financial. And I understand it, but the problem is it's so myopic in terms of leadership because the number that's uh, spat out at the end is a byproduct of human beings and your processes doing certain stuff uh, and engaging with other human beings and processes. Now, the problem seems to be that because you know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, that, that overemphasis on um, uh, financial has meant that they've, they, I don't think they're paying attention to what the overall job of the business is. Because if they were paying attention to that and they were focusing on serving that with the comp plan, then everybody will be working towards common purpose. But it seems the way things are set up is, and I don't think people do it deliberately. I think it's just the, the nature of the you know, way um, businesses in the West have been established, that it's adversarial. You've got finance against everybody. Yep. Um, you've got IT who almost no one loves, unless they magic up some fine piece of tech that makes people's lives easier, in which case that people become very complacent about it very quickly and resent it when it goes wrong. And you've got sales and marketing at odds with one another. If we're going to put compensation schemes together, does it not make more sense to have comp plans that don't involve commission, but where there is an overall purpose that everybody serves, and on the basis of their contribution, towards that outcome, they get rewarded. Absolutely. I love what you're saying there. I mean, what we're talking about here is culture, right? We're talking about yeah. culture. We're talking about transparency. We're talking about aligning the company as a whole across all functions yeah. and to incent and align everyone equally, right? So I believe that sales reps should earn commissions. Personally, I like a situation where a majority of their income comes from commissions. What we're seeing more of a trend over the last five to 10 years that was different from, say, 10 or 20 years ago is that there was, uh, you know, maybe it was 25, 75 base salary to commission, but the reward is much greater. I've seen instances where they provided uh, different alternatives where the rep could choose a plan, high base salary, low commission, low base salary, high commission. But I think like folks like SDRs and BDRs, to, so that they can focus more on value over quantity of book deals. Yeah. Let's incent them on not how many meetings they set, let's incent them on how much, the quality of the meetings and if these deals close and how far along they get. And maybe give them a small percentage of, of the actual commission associated with the closing of the deal so they feel more part of the team. Same with the accounting department or the marketing organization. Let's incent them with you know, MBOs or structures or bonuses or, or, or incentives or trips or what have you so that they want to focus and do the best for the company as a whole and get the entire engine and machine working together to one common focus. It's really, really interesting. I, I interviewed a gentleman called Alfie Cohn, and he wrote a fabulously interesting book called Punished by Rewards. The basic thesis is that the minute you start introducing money, you turn play into work. Even with salespeople, finding uh, satisfaction from the intrinsic joy of doing a phenomenal job is typically a far greater incentive and motivator than adding a few uh, dollars here or there uh, to the commission. 
And I think far too often, the compensation plan is just about the money. And increasingly, with Gen Zs and millennials, they're really looking to grow more. And I think part of the comp plan needs to include the recognition and reward for doing a good job in terms of how they can grow, how they can develop. And we've had a lot of success in the past where we had very limited budgets with companies and they had to grow, but they could then decide on their own bonus, but they couldn't have it in cash, interestingly enough. Interesting. Yeah, they could have 300 pounds, but they could spend it on, they had to spend it on something because it was about the experience. Those incentives. So one of them was a 19-year-old who was booking meetings with CEOs and she wanted a pair of Jimmy Choo shoes. On her 20th meeting, she hit the, the, the bonus target and the following day she came in, in uh, with these six-inch stilettos. Highly inappropriate for work, but she was so <laughs> proud of herself. Uh, another one, this was a different company. He was into travel. So his bonus was a trip to um, Petra in Jordan to go and see the, you know, the, um, the Nabataean kingdom carved out of the rock. Right. So that was his bonus. And he worked so much harder for that than he did for money. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I've heard a lot about that. There's a, a lot of companies out there that their whole purpose in life is, is to provide uh, employee gifts, things that they can then the companies can provide to these employees to motivate them and make them feel special and part of uh, the family. There's a line there that I, I worry about when I hear things about family and companies, but uh, it, it makes them feel special. It makes them feel wanted. It makes them feel that they've been thought of and rather than just sort of cutting a check. You know, when you talk about money and, 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 and what we're seeing with a lot of the younger generation, I mean, volunteerism is really taking a, a big spike here. And that, you know, part of what, one of the things that I'm seeing with comp plans now is that they're asking the reps and the company wide to volunteer, you know, a couple of days a week uh, or a month to provide uh to shelters or, or, or food banks or whatever cause that they want. And the company will actually pay them sort of a, a sick day or, or, or a floater holiday or what have you um, to be able to go out and do that. And it makes the rep and the individual uh, employee feel good that they're giving back and that the company supports that. So I'm seeing a, a big trend in that. I'm also seeing a trend where reps aren't so much worried about calculating the commission on every deal. They're more focused on helping the, the customer you know, helping solve problems, developing those long-term meaningful relationships, you know, creating recurring customers rather than transactional customers. This, again, I think is really, really interesting. Debate that I have regularly with my clients, and eventually I typically win it if they want to survive and uh, be a really strong, sustainable, profitable business, which is shift from the short term to the medium term in terms of pipeline and prospecting and really focus on uh, getting deep and wide in the organization. And I like the idea, uh, although I haven't yet explored it in practice, of having uh, certain behavioral elements to the comp plan that are about creating real relationships and reward being tied to the customer's time to value, where the customer uh, reports back that they've accomplished the intended outcome when they originally invested. Because one of the schemes that I'm working on at the moment is around an ecosystem and um, trying to work out how a number of independent consultants can get paid fairly, but 
to create an outcome-based pricing model, which I think is going to be really important because customers pay for results. They pay yeah. for outcomes. They don't care about your widget. They don't buy your software. And then no one in the history of humanity has ever bought my training. You know, Marcus, I love that idea. Basically built in a customer feedback loop in the comp plan to yeah. measure whether you sold the customer a bill of goods and they bought it, or whether you're actually helping the customer solve problems and measure the outcome. I love that. Just taking this idea just a fraction further, one of my pals um, in my network is developing a product called Askum, A-S-K-U-M. He's from Yorkshire. So it's Askum. And <laughs> um, the idea is that you send this link to your prospect before you meet them. And then they evaluate the experience of buying from you. Now, you've got to be bloody brave to do that. And you also have to make sure that you turn up and you're prepared, you're relevant, you're timely, uh, you're respectful, and you're customer focused. Now, the beauty is if you leave and you've got a good Ask Them score, that is currency on your, on your um, CV, on your resume. That's brilliant. Now, isn't it? It now, is. Buying that with the customer and uh, the outcomes of the customer as well. So in terms of quality performance, the comp plan could have a kicker for a high ASCOM score. Absolutely. You know what I find is that it's almost like comp plans are engineered to be reversed. It's almost like they reward new labels with spiffs and kickers. But if you've got a happy customer that wants to continue on and they want to renew the relationship with you, the reps are getting paid half on a renewal and they get paid on a new deal. That really does baffle me because the profitability in SaaS, according to the bank SaaS study in 2019, is that new business generates 18% profit, upsells 170% profit, whereas expansion sales 1150% profit. That is a 63.86x times higher profit margin. Now, this then comes back to another cultural and philosophical conversation, which is around whether you can possibly rep truly represent the best interest of shareholders if you're treating your people like shit, because they're disempowered, they're disincentivized, they're demotivated, they're disengaged, they become a flight risk, they grumble amongst themselves, they look for ways to get even, and then when they leave, they probably take with them customers, intelligence, and it's very expensive to replace them. So Yeah, I mean, it's shocking, you know, what sales leaders do. And I think a lot of it has to do with their own ego, to tell you the truth. If you've got a high-performing rep who's got an installed base in a customer pipeline, and that rep leaves, to be able to replace that performance, first, you have to go out and you got to recruit them. I mean, it could take months and months and months just to identify the right hire. You hire them, you train them, you get them up to speed, it takes them six months to build out a pipeline. You've just lost a million run rate from, an from a top performer that you've driven out of the company because of your practices. Again, love it. Absolutely. These are kind of ways I use numbers as well. Okay. Um, well, you so take after my own heart, Marcus. When you were spewing out those numbers with the X this and the X that, I tell you, I, I loved it. I loved it. Well, I struggle sometimes to fathom how we can repeatedly beat our head against the wall and then blame the wall for our headache. <laughs> so let, let's explore this then. You're going for your new job as a senior sales leader. So a VP of sales or a CRO, chief commercial officer, something like that. 
and you're having the conversation with the CFO, what are the kind of questions you should really be asking to make sure that when you take over the reins, you're not just becoming an accomplice, you're becoming your salespeople's ally? That's a great question, Marcus. I've literally had about a half dozen conversations with current or former CROs who have told me stories about how they wish they had true commission solution in the past. They wonder, where have I been all of these years? They tell me how they butted heads with the CFO repeatedly because they, their reps maybe are concerned about something or showing them an issue that accounting has had. The accounting department finance, the CFO is not being responsive. The sales leader then takes up the battle on behalf of the rep. And now the sales leader is butting heads with the CFO, trying to advocate for the rep, wanting to do the right thing by them. But ultimately, the CFO has the final authority about the, the purse strings. The sales manager feels that he's stuck in the middle and is very frustrated by that. So, you know, if I'm going in as a sales leader into a new, new role, I, I guess I'd really like to understand sort of the mentality of the CFO, you know, the views of what they have of the sales folks as, as individual contributors. And that there's a, a mutual you know, trust and respect that goes as part of a two-way street. You know, sometimes you'll have organizations that are driven by marketing or sales or, or, or finance. You'll have other organizations that are driven by technology. I think the ones that win out the most are the ones that have a good balance and equal respect and uh, an equal market focus. Interesting. Okay. So if you're the CFO and you're facing a really tough set of decisions, you've got a finite budget, you're under pressure, and you know you have to make cuts. The temptation is definitely to play with the comp plan. But one of the areas I've really spent a lot of time experimenting with and digging into the last 18 months, because I've been waiting for this to come. I mean, I've been forecasting it for ages because I'm a proper miserable curmudgeon. So I've been prepping for this. And it strikes me that there is a brilliant opportunity for salespeople to ally themselves with the CFO and to make the CFO the hero. And I think this is where sales should get really smart. The sales leadership and and sales team should get together and identify which bits of technology they've made terrible investments in. And all they've done is created friction. They've created additional workload and distance from the customer and then can all of that shit and redeploy that money on technology that actually helps salespeople. Because there is so much that has changed if you think intelligently. But the problem is, I think a lot of people have just suffered from fear of missing out. And so the arms race has begun. And so we need a sequencer. We need intent data. We need a parallel dialer. We need this, that, and the other. And all of that stuff is brilliant, applied well. But by and large, it's applied really badly. And the turnover, because of this shitty culture and bad uh, leadership and terrible management, means that the people who uh, were trained in it have left already. So you've probably got a bunch of duplication. Sitting down with the CFO, what are the kind of conversations that sales leaders should be having to make the CFO their ally and work together so that sales can be the engine of recovery? I think that really what you really want to do, and I think all salespeople will agree, is we want to make salespeople more productive. We want to free up their time to sell more and earn more for themselves and for the company. And ways that we can do that is to help reduce some of the enormous amount of admin work that salespeople have to do all the time. So if I, I, I say this to almost everybody I talk to. 
what are the three things that salespeople hate to do the most that takes away from their selling time? The first one is updating the CRM. So there's a couple of tools out there today that do that. They automate that function. They take your notes and they'll automatically populate it into the CRM. I'm not that familiar with them personally. I haven't used them, but I have used the CRM for a long time. And believe me, I can't stand the CRM. It's, uh, it's big brother watching. It's providing a forecast for the pipeline for the executive team. It provides to make sure that the reps are doing all the activities that the team thinks that they should be doing. And I, I think that the, the relationship should be based on mutual trust and respect and wanting to do the right thing, not the big brother watching thing. Um, the second thing that sales reps hate spending their time doing, just like that example I gave you a little earlier, guy spent three days having to check his pay, manually cross-referencing multiple data sets, no, no technology, no easy access to data. They locked it down. He couldn't even work off of it off of an Excel spreadsheet. He had to look at a screen to, to see the CRM. And so, if, if, you know, that's why a solution like True Commissions come out, so that we can provide end-to-end -end pay transparency, so that reps can be more productive, more motivated, not spend time either checking it or worrying about it or complaining about it. The third thing is this, this constant nag between the manager and the rep when the executive team snaps their fingers and says, hey, we need an immediate updated forecast because we want to align what that pipeline looks like to hire resources to support the sales that are coming in. So there's this constant nag between the, the rep and the manager looking for that forecast while they're doing 15 other things and keeping the CRM up to date and trying to close deals. So another thing that we're providing is to an end-to-end -end automated forecasting tool for the individual reps and for the manager. How do we do that? We, we track individual rep cash flow projections. First I've ever heard of this. When will big bonuses be paid out based on where you are on your comp plan? When will large deals close that then you'll get large commission checks? We'll factor in your base salary. And then now you can project your earnings out and now align your own personal expenses. Like maybe you want to buy a boat or a second home or a down payment on your first home or a family vacation or whatever that is that, that you are set as a goal that drives you. Now you can align those goals with these forecasts and then plan accordingly with your personal life. So now a salesman... I'm sorry, go ahead. That's interesting. Okay. Now, a sales manager can all press a button and grab every forecast from the True Commission dashboard that each individual rep has, roll that up into one view and format it in a way that the executive team wants to see it. The manager will have the ability to override any of the forecasts that they seem deem fit. We're also building up some functionality where we can actually measure the ability of the rep to actually forecast. So are they sandbagging? Are they bringing the deals in earlier than they actually will come in? But there's a, a really powerful partner of ours called Ebster, and they look at engagement data. Now, this is really interesting. And the engagement data is the communication between uh, the rep and uh, individuals within the target account. What's really interesting about this is it um, looks at the back channels of communication that aren't uh, in the single system of record. So emails, Slack, LinkedIn, all that kind of stuff. On average, and this is a, a big reason why reps should be clamoring for this kind of tech. On average, they uncover 42% of hidden pipeline that no one really knows is there and it's probably going to get lost because it'll just the ball will get dropped. Now, that's on the, base, uh, the basis of um, something like $100 million worth of monthly pipeline. It's a good statistical base. And, and, you're, and you're saying that they're keeping these, this, this data is outside of the CRM. So they're, yeah. scra they're, they're scraping it out of email or text messages or DMs or what have you. Yeah, exactly. 
but then it updates the CRM automatically with promotions, new job titles, contact details, all of that stuff. So you've actually got something people can use because the data in CRM, you're, if you're really lucky, about 20% of it might be usable. Every time you um, leave a voicemail or you do a, have a DM on LinkedIn or you uh, send out an email, I mean, are you really doing it through the CRM? Are you updating it into the CRM? No, I well, mean... One of my clients, he had to build a dashboard on Excel because they've got about 30 different tools. And the reps were going from one to the other, going outreach and da 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 and bouncing around. And it took two hours. Now they can do what took two hours in under two minutes because they've yep. just got one single view of everything. It would be really interesting if it then fed back into commissions. That rep that we talked about that spent three days finding that 8K, we could have done that if he had access to the data. We could have done it in 10 minutes for him. Mm. Literally, 10 minutes. The opportunity cost for the employer is those three days he didn't spend prospecting and selling. And the rule is, if you're struggling to hit your number today, it's because what you didn't do three, six, 12, 15 weeks ago, when you should have. And all of these distractions, this is another reason why we should be dealing with these kind of issues. The average time reps spend in front of the customer is somewhere between 12 and 21%. Yeah. That means you're spending eight, up to 88% of your time doing non-customer-facing activity. Exactly right. I put out a post about uh, the need to reduce rep admin work. It was one of my, my more popular posts that I had received, and I, I had uh, cited some statistics as well about, uh, I think the number that I picked was is that 73% uh, of their time, they're not actually selling. And that's both in-house and, and direct facing. Yeah, that about figures. So surely, if you're a leader, you must be asking yourself the question, is there a better way? Yeah. Because there is, and they're, they're everywhere. Yeah, I mean, a lot of folks are just sort of stuck with the status quo. This is how things have been. This is how things will continue to be. There's a power dynamic that they, you know, that, that exists there. There's that intimidation. There's the lack of transparency. There's the limit to information. All those things play into this dynamic and the relationship that exists. It should be an equal and fair two-sided relationship. You shouldn't feel intimidated to question things. There should be equal respect. Everyone has their own lives, their own families, their own personal goals, and they should be respected and treated accordingly. And if these things existed, true transparency and fairness, a lot of these things that you're talking about wouldn't exist because management would take a different view of the way they do things. Yeah. Okay. Dan, we've come to the top of the hour. Tell me this. You're looking back and you're, you've got a time, a time machine. You can go back and whisper in the ear of the idiot Dan, age 23. What one bit, choice bit of advice would you have given him that he was probably too wise to follow and probably thought he was invincible at the time? But what one bit of advice would you have given him? I got a couple of things, actually. I was thinking about this. Um, the first thing I would say is be more strategic in your career planning, Okay. Have a, have a goal, have a path, try to choose the path as early as you can, but be willing to pivot as necessary. And don't be afraid to do that. Another thing that I would say is never burn a bridge. I've done it before. When I was 23 years old and I felt like my manager, you know, gave me a line of crap and I was leaving the company, you know, I, I burnt the bridge on the way out. And, uh, you know, it might've felt good at the moment, but looking back as I'm more mature, it wasn't a wise thing to do. I mean, it never did come back to sort of bite me in the ass, but you know, looking back, it, it really wasn't the right thing to do. 
another thing would be to have as much fun as possible. You know, I was always one that was sort of somewhat conservative and somewhat frugal and was always thinking way into the future financially. Don't worry about the money when you're young. It will come. Go and have a good time. Take some chances with your career. Don't necessarily look for the highest paying job. Look for the one that will set you up for the next job and the next job as part of that path that you want to go on. And if I really wanted to say, looking back, maybe not 23 years old, maybe 28 years old, I wish that I had started True Commission back then, because that's how long I've been doing this. What was the moment you decided, to hell with this, I'm going to do this for a living? I don't know. I mean, I had a number of, uh, you know, I, I had sort of a, a narcissistic boss in a, in a startup that I, you know, helped sort of pivot the company into something that could then get acquired for eight figures that would never have gone anywhere. and someone who is just, you know, focused on themselves and just so many examples of poor bosses that didn't treat you respectfully and that messed with your money and made promises about raises and promotions just to kind of keep you happy and for a while and then sort of maybe never follow through with them. But really what it was, was, is that I saw that the problem was getting worse. And I just felt that it was the right thing to do to kind of be an advocate for the rep. There's no solutions even today in 2022, never mind back in 1992 when I was doing this. I mean, 30 years ago, there are no solutions today for the rep, nothing. They say, here's your draft commission statement. They don't give you data. There's no resources. There's no automation. They're really out there on their own. You know, and not only am I providing the automation, I'm providing a service. I'm providing a sort of a shoulder to lean on, someone to bounce ideas off of, you know, a resource to question things. You know, do I have any legal rights here? You know, is the company doing wrong here? You know, any suggestions on how I can go about this? And it's really rewarding personally and gratifying to be able to go and help reps. I mean, there was a rep the other day that I helped them find $20,000, you know, and it was money that was confirmed by the company. The response of the rep, the, the, the gratitude, the appreciation, the impact that it makes, it's it just, I look at things almost through a different lens now than I had previously, because it feels so gratifying to make that type of an impact on people's lives and to do the right thing. That's lovely to hear. How can people get hold of you? I'm Dan Goodman. So you can email me directly at dgoodman at truecommish.com. That's T-R-U-C-O-M-M-I-S-H. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is daniel-goodman2001. Also, you can learn a lot on our website, www.truecommish.com. Our self-service direct-to-consumer app is a free app right now. Anyone can go on there, check it out. The, you can get, get there through our website or directly at app.truecommish.com. Check it out. You can see a demo of it. You can load up some information. You can run scenarios with POM plans. You can compare last year's plan to this year's plan. You can get unique insights about your selling. And if you have any questions or need any help doing it, reach out. I'll be happy to jump on a Zoom and help you with it. Fantastic offer. Dan Goodman, thank you. Thank you, Marcus. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you've enjoyed this, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. And please tag someone who might be having a bit of a hard time with their comp plan. Dan will help and definitely go onto the True Commission uh, app and run your comp plan through it and see whether or not you're being stiffed or being paid fairly. And if you want to get hold of me, Marcus at laughs-last.com or click on the link in the blurb if you want to chat to me about coaching and training. In the meantime, stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.